Well, let's jump into this. So I'm going to open with 1 Kings 17, starting in verse 8. Uh, you can turn there if you'd like. 1 Kings 17, verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came to him, him being Elijah, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. Uh, so he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And then she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it, eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as, as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and uh, she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So uh, today I intend to share that God is simply asking us for purity and what's in our hands, and he is promising us abundance. Uh, I'm calling this message Abundant Oil. So let's pray. Uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation. Come, Holy Spirit, we recognize your, your tangible presence here, and we just ask for more. We thank you for being here with us this morning. Come, 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 come. Wisdom and revelation. Spirit of prophecy, come in this room. God, I just ask even that as we go through scripture today, as I share this message, God, that each person hears from you. Even if it's not directly what I'm speaking, God, that there's such a, a spirit of revelation that their their minds uh, are taken uh, in the direction you want them to go and that you begin to speak to each of us what we need to hear this morning from you, from your mouth, from your heart. Let this be a rhema word today. Let it speak right to our spirits, to our seasons, to our situations. Thank you, God. And I just ask that you also release courage and boldness in this room today. Release courage and boldness in this room. And take us deeper into your heart. And Jesus, ultimately, we want you to get your full reward in our lives, our city, and the nations of the world because you're worth it. So Holy Spirit, get Jesus everything he paid for in our lives. Jesus, you're worthy. You're worth it all. Thank you. Amen. So what I want to share with you guys today um, is uh, a little different than what I've been sharing. Um, today is much more of a prophetic, what I'm, I would say is a prophetic message. And so that ultimately is, it's, it's a... Um, a teaching of scripture with the intention of communi communicating a rhema, like now word. Um, so it's you know, the difference between logos, 
which is the written word of God, and a now rhema word is a, a word in season um, for the hearer directly from heaven. And so I believe that today, that as we go through scripture, um, just like I was praying, that as we go through scripture, there's, there's going to be something in this for all of us. That's a now word that's for where we're at. Um, and when the spirit of revelation is present, things will be revealed. The, the nature of revelation is it's not, um, it's, it's like a veil being pulled back. Like it's not, uh, just teaching line by line and oh I understand these things. It's actually like all a veil's pulled back and it's like, oh, I can see for the first time. I can see this thing. It makes sense to me. And like in my heart, I recognize this thing. And so in the same way, like as the spirit of revelation is present in this room, stuff will just pop into your head. It'll pop into your, into your spirit and, and you'll begin to understand things. And it may have nothing to do with what I'm talking about. And that's totally fine. Just lean into what Holy Spirit's doing, lean into whatever he, he begins to stir in you. Um, and so with, with Mercy Culture, our friends at Mercy Culture and stuff, we, um, and we're going to have this eventually, um, they have a test to kind of figure out how you connect with God. And um, in my top three, um, and, and the point of that is like, there's only one way to God, it's through Jesus. Um, but in Jesus, there's many ways to connect with God. And, and so everyone connects with God differently. And um, we've often done the body of Christ a disservice in um, leaders typically teach people that they connect with God the way that the leader connects with God. And if they don't connect with God that way, it can be a struggle to hear God's voice, to connect with him, to, 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 um, to experience him. And so this test like really helps, um, helps bring people to the place that they understand, oh, here's my primary ways of connecting and here's activities and things I can do to connect with God on a daily basis. This was really freeing for me because in different seasons, it's looked different. Um, but I've, I felt such a pull just to be in scripture and have not heard in the same way I have in previous seasons. And I took this test and like all the lines up with that. So two of my top three ways I connect with God are learner and meditation. Learner is um, that I actually experience and connect with God when I'm learning new things, when I'm learning new things about scripture and digging in and asking, asking deeper questions and learning about context and all those things that God begins to speak to me through that. And scripture begins to apply to my life. Um, and what I found is that's so true. Like when I, when I started reading that description, I was like, this is exactly where I've been is like over and over again, really, since we moved to Seattle, God has like given me sections of scripture and those have been my timeline. And so he'd be like, focus on this section of scripture and I'd dig into it. And then we would start to experience parallel things to that section of scripture. And I'd be able to, to relate and connect with God in that. Um, my, another one is meditation. So this is just like pondering, thinking about, about God and scripture. And, uh, that's really how I hear God the most now is I'll just sit and think quietly. It's not, I, I still pray and I, you know, it's important to pray and speak things out and all that. Um, whereas I'm a little different than my wife where one of hers is, um, I forget what the term for it is, but it's basically conversation. Maybe it is conversation. It is. Yeah. And so she literally will ask and get an answer and, and ask and get an answer, ask and get an answer. And like that, that's how I used to really function, but God changed it. And now it's a lot more, I'll sit and meditate. And as I do, God takes my mind places and things will start to make sense and connect and, um, and he'll start to bring scripture and those sorts of things. So I'm sharing that because I'm going to kind of bring you guys into that way that I connect a little bit um, because I nerded out as I studied <laughs> the context. So whenever I, whenever I share anything, this is 
outside of this message even like whenever i share a message i make sure i go through that whole book of the bible and understand the context and everything even if i'm just using a scripture or two just to make sure like do i understand what's really happening here because there's greater depth every god's very intentional everything he does is intentional down to the names and the places and the the time that it happened all of it so um i'm gonna give you guys some context starting out first and second kings is one book originally written as one book that we've we divided um it is believed as written by the prophet jeremiah which is actually really important we'll get to that in a moment um and it follows after first and second samuel and so samuel wrote first first and second samuel which were one book um split into two and then followed by jeremiah writing about the kings and so after david's reign and the uh, uh it, it comes in like it starts the book of well first Kings starts with david's the end of david's reign so it's david dying passing everything on to solomon and it follows um and there's this promise over david that the messiah would come from his lineage and so um there's a there's actually a promise that looks like it's about solomon but ultimately solomon doesn't fulfill it and so it's believed to be a messianic promise and then there's others in jeremiah where jeremiah references this and so um first and second kings follows king after king after king follows this lineage where they basically got anything but the messiah <laughs> they got these these miserable kings that didn't do didn't follow god and so after the death of solomon um you know so we go from david dies and and it goes to solomon solomon due to all of the wives he married fell into such idolatry even to the point of financing like the one who made the temple who fulfilled the dream that was in the heart of david and in the heart of god then fell into idolatry because of the wives he married and um down to like some theologians even believe that he moved into human sacrifice and the sacrifice of children because of the gods that his wives were worshiping and what he was supporting like that's how far you go from david who's a man after god's own heart to his son and in one generation they moved he moved the kingdom into such idolatry um it's it's really incredible and evil and so out of solomon's reign from there, the tribes, right after that, um, the tribes of Israel split into two rival kingdoms. And so you have the North Kingdom and the South Kingdom, the North Kingdom being Israel and the South Kingdom being Judah. And they were often at war with each other. And, um, and so the descendants of David were the ones who continued to reign in Judah. And the descendants, uh, or, and then the Northern Kingdom um, was typically plagued by um, different coups and short-lived dynasties and and that sort of thing um, and then the prophets are all throughout um, throughout first and second kings where it's like you've got these kings and they're not doing what god says and then you've got the prophets and that's kind of the contrast is the prophets are coming in and confronting the kings over and over again uh, for the evil that they're doing and how far they've fallen from what god's telling them to do um, so this is kind of like the context we're coming into here um, as we get into first and second Kings. And so one of the main purposes, so there's like the historical purpose of tracking these Kings, tracking how long their reign is, how much they followed God and those sorts of things. But the other side of this, I mentioned it, it was written by Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah. And what he's actually tracking 
So in Jeremiah 23, 5 through 6, he said, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up uh, raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And the day, in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which uh, he will be called the Lord of righteousness. And so this is a, a prophecy about the branch being Jesus that that's um, going to come from David. And you know, we sing the, the song Michael Kulianos wrote where it talks about the root of Jesse. Um, like these are all messianic pro- uh, prophecies that were about Jesus coming from the line of David. So what the other purpose of First and Second Kings is actually Jeremiah is historically proving and tracking the lineage to show that Jesus actually still does come from this line of David, even though it's filled with corruption, even though it's full of idolatry and all these things. Ultimately, Jesus still ends up as a part of his line. And many believe both on the side of adoption by Joseph, because Joseph was connected back to David, but also through Mary. Um, as well. And so that he's, he's connected to David both. Um, okay. So first Kings, we're going to start in first Kings 17 verse one. And so this is the first time in the Bible we see Elijah. So he comes out of nowhere and, um, and it's kind of interesting. Elijah's name means Yahweh is my God. And so God raises up this man that represents God. God is my God. <laughs> yeah. Yahweh is my God. God is my God. In the midst of idolatry and these kings doing everything else, he raises up a prophet to, to, to run with that message. Um, he's also, interestingly enough, he's kind of a foreshadow of both John the Baptist and Jesus. Um, so John the Baptist uh, and, and, and Elijah, they both wore scratchy animal hair clothes. Um, and then people even thought, that John the Baptist was Elijah and, um, and Jesus even connected him to Elijah and, and mentioned him as the Elijah that, that was promised. Um, and then Jesus and Elijah are very similar because this is the first time we see these types of miracles. Um, the types of miracles Jesus did, we first see with Elijah, we see multiplied food. We saw he had authority over weather. It's the first dead raising in the Bible. Um, and then the government attempted to kill him. And then he had a public ascension to heaven. Um, so that's all really interesting. Uh, and then, like I said, God God raised him up as a prophetic voice to stand on. God is God and every other God is false. And at this point, we have Ahab. We see Ahab. And uh, Ahab is a wicked king of the northern kingdom. So once again, Judah is the one that is really David's lineage that are still reigning. And then you have this kingdom that broke away. And right now it's being where we're jumping in. It's being led by Ahab and Ahab's very wicked. Ahab's married to Jezebel and that's a whole nother message. <laughs> so we'll jump into, into the first verse. Uh, it says, now Elijah, the Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall, uh, shall be neither dew nor rain these years, except by my word. So this is really interesting. He, he comes out of nowhere. This is the first time we see him and we see him standing before this wicked King saying, it's not going to rain. So he's telling him because of your wickedness, it's, you're going to go into famine. 
And so it's kind of interesting because rain and dew, um, uh, it says, it shall neither dew nor rain these years, and both represent re refreshing. So it's basically saying you're going to have no refreshing, you're have, um, there's going to be no life in your land except by my word. James 5.17, a really well-known uh, section of scripture, Elijah was a man with a, nat uh, a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. So it was for three years and six months, three and a half years, you think about that, no no rain, and the what that all affects. So that's, you know, it's not only uh, rivers are going to dry up, it's food that's not going to grow, it's water and wells that um, is going to begin to run out, all those things. So this is this is something that's very impactful to not only this king and his land, but also everywhere around them, everywhere around the northern kingdom. So verse 2, it says, And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. So this is kind of interesting. So this was actually, um, so he's over confronting Ahab, and then God tells him to go by to the brook Cherith, east of the Jordan. This is actually around the area where he grew up. So this would have been, when God gave him this command, this would have been like an area in his hometown where he's like, oh, I know where God's hiding me. Like, I know where to go. Um, the brook Cherith ran down downhill into uh, the Jordan. And so he's he's being fed by this brook that runs down into the Jordan River. And it says, you shall drink from the brook, and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. He drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So you think about that, like it's up up on the hills, the mountains, whatever it is. It hadn't rained for so long that there was nothing else to run down. Um, and so at that point, even even the place of provision that God had sent him to, to rest and hide out was now drying up. So I want to share this testimony. Um, some of you guys know this, obviously, but in 2022, um, before we bought a house, uh, this would, would have been, I think it was January, if I remember right, in January, um, we were in this place where God had told us to buy a house. Nothing made sense. I was working a job, but we didn't, we weren't making enough money. We were barely, you know, it was enough to get by with where we were at. And, um, and in the same week I had both Peter DeWitt and Just Allen, who are both overseers for our church. Now, both of them gave me the same word, Peter DeWitt first. He said, there's something about being fed by ravens for you this season. And then Justin Allen gave me the same word separately and said, there's something about being fed by ravens and it's not going to come by your strength. There's nothing you can do in the natural to make this work. And I was so frustrated because we were in debt. Like we actually had debt at that point. Our credit was, was pretty shot and God's telling us, look at houses. So we're like going to houses with, with our own, who you guys know. Um, we're going to houses with our own. He's crazy enough to like believe with us. Uh, we're looking at houses all across the spectrum of prices and have no way of even putting in an offer. And, uh, and, but we were just, we had this promise out of, in the place, in that place where I'm frustrated and everything else, we have this promise that our provision would come from the Lord. And, uh, and it was soon after that, that, um, I remember we, we were having a worship night at our house and 
um, one, of our, one of our friends was like, hey, can we pray for you guys? We know you're looking for a house and stuff. Prayed for us. And in that place, I felt like God said, ask me to pay off your debt. And um, I this prayer rose up in me of, I don't want to go another day with this debt. And this was a Saturday night. And I was like, I can't pray that. I don't even have the faith for that. Like, <laughs> I just feel like I'm going to be disappointed. And it was the next morning I was making coffee before church. And that came up in me again. And I was like, I don't. I don't want to go another day without this, with this debt. And I, so I said it to God, I was like, God, I don't want to go another day with this debt. And that day somebody came up and wrote me a check for the amount of the debt and paid off our debt. And so now our debt was paid off and now we're like, Oh, okay. So that was crazy, but we still don't have like down payment. We don't have anything else. And that, but the timing of that was perfect because it gave time for our credit to begin to build and our credit, because we paid off our debt, our credit started building up. And, um, and it was just amazing. And without getting into all of it, our, our debt was paid off. Um, and then people started to come out of the woodwork, giving us money. And I, we ended up with around 55 K last year given to us just from random places outside of anything we can do on our own. You know, I'm like, do I get a second job and all these things? And God's like, no, like just be fed by Ravens and the Lord provide everything we needed and got us this house and, and it was in the height of the market and we even got a seller credit in the midst of it, which was unheard of. Um, so, uh, but then the, the brook dried up when we started the church and <laughs> a week after we started the church, I lost my job, which was like six months ago. And so that's where we're at now. And that's why this is, this is kind of interesting. Anyways, jumping in. So Elijah and the widow uh, of Zarephath. So this is verse eight. Then the word of the Lord came to him, arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. And so Zarephath, this is really interesting. So this is like 80, 80 to 90 miles away from where he was hiding out. So that's a pretty long journey um, that God tells him to take. And it's part of Sidon. So this is Gentile land. Like this isn't, this is like a Mediterranean, uh, it's on the water area um, that is um, west of the northern part of Israel, the northern kingdom and north, northwest. And uh, it's a coastal town. And it, this town is known for purple dye, for wine, and for oil. Purple dye, wine, and oil. So he went to verse 10. So he went to Zarephath. Uh, and when he came to the, to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink as she was going to get it? He called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord, your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So this, this is interesting because the famine had not only impacted Israel, so their wickedness had not only impacted them, it was now impacting even other kingdoms around them, other nations around them. To the point that this, this is the Phoenician region where Sidon was that this place that was known for purple dye and wine and oil, um, that water was running out there and water is obviously used 
you know, to grow wheat for flour, olives for oil, um, you know, the grapes for the wine, like all that stuff needed water. So their whole, their whole economies were being impacted as well. Um, and so that means everything you think about that, that means everything happening there, um, everything there was more difficult to find and more expensive because obviously supply and demand. So, and then you've got this widow who she doesn't have a husband to even go work in the field. And so she's got to do what she can with what she has. And her son, you know, it seems like her son's not old enough to even be out working in the field. So you have her, her son, uh, and her without a husband to go even do anything to try to make more money. And so she's doing what she can. Um, and if all those things are more expensive and drying up, um, she's in a rough spot. And so ultimately they were doomed to a death of starvation. So Elijah says to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you said, which is kind of a funny thing to say when somebody says, I'm going to, we're going to eat this and die. And he says, yeah, go home and, and do as you said, but first make me bread. Uh, but first make me a small loaf of bread, um, f- uh, from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and for the woman and her family. So he moved in with his family and just lived with them for the, the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. So in, in Luke, um, in Luke four, uh, it says that, um, this is when this, the scripture, Jesus is rejected in Nazareth. This is, you know, when they're like, aren't you the carpenter's son, that whole, that whole piece. And, he references this woman. He references the widow of Zarephath, which is really interesting. And this is right after he gets finished reading Isaiah 61 in the temple and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they get upset. They don't believe him They're They reject him. And he says to them, uh, he says, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to the woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of that prophet Elisha and in the time of prophet Elisha and none of them was cleansed, but only name in the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath or with rage. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So this is so interesting that Jesus brings this up and they're rejecting him. And he's announcing Isaiah 61, which is, you know, he's, he's here to bring liberty to the captives, sight to the blind. Like he's announcing, like, this is what I'm here for. They reject him. And he brings this up like, Hey, this, you even did this back then. And God bypassed your widows. He bypassed his own people 
because you wouldn't receive him and send him to these to Gentiles. So this is actually like a kind of a cool foreshadowing, even in the Old Testament, that the gospel is going to be for the Gentiles and the Jews, um, which is pretty cool. But ultimately, the point is God will go where he's received. So if we'll receive him, he'll come. So 1 Kings 17 through 24 Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. Lord, my God, you've brought, you've brought tragedy even on this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die. Then he stretched himself out uh, on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived. Elijah picked up the child and carried him down from the room into the house. He gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. The, the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. So this is the first resurrection we see in the Bible and it happens to a Gentile. It doesn't happen in Israel. It's just interesting. And then next we go into first Kings 18, which I'm not going to read, but it's a famous battle of, uh, on Mount Carmel. And this is where, Elijah, whose whose name means Yahweh is my God, um, which is just <laughs> God is my God. Um, you see this battle where, like, the, his name, like the very the very name he carries, the very purpose he carries, ha- plays out in this battle um, where God raises up a prophetic voice to take on every other false god, which is kind of interesting. This is an interesting point. Is um, so on a trip to IHOP, the International House of Prayer, not the pancakes, um, but I was on a trip to go there. This is early on. Like God had told me the name of fire, um, that it was our ministry was going to be called fire. And I didn't, I didn't know the Bible at this point. Um, so this is 2011 and I didn't really know, I didn't know scripture and I'm like, fire, fire is bad, fire is hell and judgment and all these things. I'm like, why would our ministry be called fire? And, uh, and not even thinking about Holy Spirit, you know, the book of Acts or anything. Um, cause I didn't know, I didn't know the scripture like that. But while I was like, you know what, I, at IHOP, they pray for 24 seven, like, and have been for years. Like that should be a good place to hear God. So like, I'm going to, I'm going to go there and try to hear God. And, uh, while I was there in the middle of it, I was like, God, what is this? I kept seeking him on it. And finally he said, um, look up the story of Elijah. And so I typed in Google. I didn't even know where the story of Elijah was. So I typed in, um, Elijah fire into Google and it brought up first Kings 18. Mm-hmm. And so as I began to read this, I like sensed God and I was like, oh, this is it. And, um, uh, there's the verse that says, the God who answers by fire, he is God. And it became clear, like, this was the point of our ministry. Like, our, our the point of our ministry was to fearlessly proclaim and demonstrate the God that answers by fire. And 
confront every other thing, um, whether it be the religious demon or false false religions or whatever, um, but showing that our God is the God that answers by fire. So that's just an interesting note. First um, Kings 17 was the beginning of it. The fed by ravens was the word that our family personally, like that was the word of our last season. Um, and in a way, it almost like once again, feels like a timeline. And the reason is, is because God gave me this section with the widow of Zarephath as a word uh, here a few weeks ago. And I'll talk about that in a moment. And ultimately, I know like the bigger purpose of our church is First Kings 18. So it feels like we're in this like in-between moment. I'm still trying to figure out with the Lord. I don't have a ton of clarity on it. Um, I'm, I think it's one of those things we kind of got to walk out. But we are visiting Trinity Life Center. Uh, which is right down the road. And while we were visiting there, um, I heard the Lord say, he said to me during worship, he said, uh, just as Elijah asked the widow for water and bread, I'm asking for water and bread. And in turn, uh, you will always have vessels of oil. And so I'm like, well, that sounds cool, but what, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, and so I kept, I continue to seek him. And I actually believe this is something that he's speaking to to our church. I think it's for our, my family, but I think it's for our church. And I actually think it's for the body of Christ right now. Um, more broadly. Um, I believe that we're the widow of, uh, the widow of Zarephath. We're the, we're the bride of Christ, but we're the widow, you know, we're the, um, even, even here in Seattle, it's like, we are, we're, we're not a, um, we're not a super Christian area. <laughs> we're kind of the outside, but we're willing to receive him. And um, her land was one of scarcity of fa and famine, uh, but God did something supernaturally that defied the state of the city she lived in. Elijah is the word of the Lord coming to us. It's the visitation of Holy Spirit coming to us. And like Jesus being rejected and Elijah going outside of his people to reach the widow, um, Holy Spirit is going where he's received. And I know that there's a lot of places he's not received right now. And, um, and so we have to be those who receive him because he'll go wherever he's welcome. Um, he's asking us for water. This was one of the pieces when he asked for water, I was like, what does water mean? And I had all these, you know, saying refreshing and all this stuff. And then he just spoke purity and purity. It's purity of heart and motive. So the Lord is asking us, Give me a heart of purity. Give me pure motives. And then he asked for bread. And I was like, what's the bread? And he says, the bread is the body of Christ. He said, simply gather people. So give me purity of heart, purity of motives, and just gather the body for me. And in that verse, it talks about, or in that section, it talks about flour. She says, I only have a handful of flour. And flour is what's in our hands. And for, you know, as a church, that means one thing, but individually that means something else. Like all of us have something that's, it's the little bit that we have in our hands. And he's asking for even, even that, like, what do you have? What's in your hands? And then she says, I have a little flour and I have a little oil. Oils are intimacy. So we have what are, what's in our hands. And then we have intimacy with him. And those two things can only produce so much. Uh, they can only make so much bread. And it, as a church, I, I feel like we're in that place where we can take the little resource we have and the little bit of intimacy we have with him and 
we can try to produce something for him um, that's beautiful. And I feel like that's what he's asking for from us. It's like, just take what's in your hand and, and do something with that. And I know it can sometimes feel like we have, whether this is personal um, or for the church, it can sometimes feel like what's in our hands, um, what that bread that we have is just for our own survival. It's like, it's just the thing that we need. And it's like, well, God, if we give that to you, like, what are we going to live off of here? Because it feels like we're just trying to survive. Um, but it's first for him. And then he'll make sure we always have enough. And so that might be something personally that you need to need to trust him with and just trust like you always have enough. You don't have to hold on. And so he's he's doing something. I believe he's doing something very supernatural with our obedience right now. Um, I think that's always true. But uh, there's he's asking for obedience right now. He's asking for, hey, will you, will you give me purity of heart? Will you give me. Um, purity in your motives. Will you will you just gather people together? Will you give me what's in your hand? Will you do something with that? And he promises vessels of oil. So 2 Timothy uh, 2, 21 through 23 says, Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Uh, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel of honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the masters, to the master of the house, ready for every good work. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So youthful passions is those are the things that are um, are so important or desirable when we're young. It's career, money, pleasure, status, recognition. And he says, flee those things and pursue righteousness. Righteousness is his ways. So pursue his ways. So set aside those things, our career, money, pleasure, status, all those things that like we think we need um, and, and pursue his ways. That's how we cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable. Verse 23, it says, having nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, uh, you know that they breed quarrels. So if we maintain a pure heart and pure motives, and if we uh, take what we have, what we do have and use it to gather the body together for his enjoyment, he's promising abundance. So we, we need to set aside these things and then he'll use us. He'll, he'll make us vessels of honor. He'll make us vessels of oil. So he's promising more oil, more presence, more miracles, more resource. And this is not just for our church, but like this is, this is for us individually. Um, and, and it looks different for every person in here. But the promise is if we'll put aside these other things that we think matter and we'll just pursue his ways. And pursue what he's asking of us. Give him purity. Give him what's in your hand. He will. He will give us oil. He'll give us more than enough. He'll give us pre- his presence. He'll give us miracles. He'll give us resource. Everything we need is found in taking what's in our hands and letting it go through the fire. You put it in the oven and handing it back to him. It's that process that, that takes what's in your hands and turns it into something that can feed the Lord, that he can, he can be uh, satisfied with. 
Hopefully that makes sense. So one of our values uh, as a church is his voice because we believe every word he speaks is life to us. And so that includes prophetic words. Um, so I, I actually want to read through a few prophetic words. I feel like um, we need to be reminded of that he spoke. So the first one's already come up um, from June. Uh she got this word in January about this being the year of abundance and war. And we really felt like that was like, that really was the word of the year. It's abundance and war. And God was promising those two things were going to happen. Uh, we've definitely experienced that. And so this is the year of abundance and war. Um, my wife, she, she had this word. I see our church as a place of oil a place where the weary, burned out, and hopeless ministers will be refreshed, renewed, strengthened, encouraged, and sent back out to take territory. Our church will be known as a place of oil where burned out ministers will say, I just need to get there. I know if I get there, I'll be okay. So that was in September of 2022. Um, and then Haley Braun in October of 2022, she's one of the prophets of Bethel. She said, I pray for a fresh outpouring of holy fire. I pray for oil. Uh, thanks God for the oil of anointing. He's going to bring you worshipers. He's going to bring you Levites. Thank you, God, that you're raising up in Seattle. You're raising up Seattle to be a crown of glory on your head. Fill them with holy fire. And this last one, this came from Heather Schott, who's one of the, the senior pastors at Mercy Culture. And um, she was prophesying over Milka. But she was praying for our church. And she said, you better be lit. You know that, right? To be there, unwavering, not bought by money, not bought by influence, not bought by status, unwavering in your message, your preaching, your compassion. Do not bow to the government there. Do not bow to what the church next door says or what they do or how they do it. Your name says it all. That's what you're called to be a carrier of. If that's your name, know that the enemy is going to come to try to quench it. He'll come to try to put something on top of the fire where you're doing something and you feel like you're doing things, but there's no authority, there's no light, there's no leading people into holiness and deliverance and to freedom. Do not let that fire be quenched. You're going to be in that place of tension, of that spiritual roar of refusing that, but then fanning the flame. Oh, but the Lord is going to give you grace, the mercy, the authority, the power. There's going to be miracles, signs, and wonders. Fire will be a house of miracles, signs, and wonders, says the Lord. You will see them healed. You will see those pulled out wheelchairs. You'll see bones come back into alignment. You'll see cancer go, says the Lord. There will be dreams and dream interpretations. There will be a walking out. The, the Josephs that walk out the dreams that come from the low places to high places. The warning is, do not follow the opportunities that seem like they'll get you to the high places quickly, says the Lord. See, Joseph had to go from the pit uh, in the prison to the high place of leadership. The Lord doesn't take you to those places because he's upset, mad, or you're doing something wrong. That will be the temptation of the enemy to taunt you that you're doing it wrong, that you're not doing it in the church planting model. Wreck the model, says the Lord, and hear what the Lord is saying for fire and simply obey, says the Lord. When you simply obey the model that I am giving you, it will be a wildfire, says the Lord. See, this will be a place, even as you laugh now, it'll be a house of joy. It will be a house 
of joy when chaos is happening around you. It will be a house of joy, says the Lord. And from that place of joy, the place of laughter in the face of the enemies, the enemy signs, miracles and wonders will be your normal. The supernatural will be the normal, says the Lord. So I declare vessels of the supernatural, vessels of fire, oil, more oil, more oil and fire. I see oil that's dripping from the ceiling from fire and uh, and oil continues to keep the wildfire. You're the fire wild. Don't let the vessels of oil stop flowing, says the Lord. I see evangelists and missionaries coming out of this house, sent as fires, catching other places on fire, catching other states, other cities, other regions of Washington on fire. Let the oil drip. I see a wild chaos. There will be order but chaos and glory in his presence. Do not tame it. Do not put your hands on it, says the Lord. But let it be my wild glory. That's what the region needs. They need something that's real, a real fire. I declare a real fire to come out of fire in Seattle. In Jesus, my name, amen. Thank you, God, for your prophetic words. Especially that last one, I just feel like that's so where we're at. It's just being reminded. Um, it's it's easy to want to... to wanna, um, try to accelerate or change what we're doing to try to accelerate what God, you know, what's happening here and, and, and grow it a certain way or look to the left or to the right. And I just, God has continually just been like, do what I'm asking, do what I'm asking. And, um, so that's what we're doing. So I want to take a moment here and, uh, just in closing this, like, I want us to just check in with Holy spirit and uh, just ask him like, are my personal motives, and passion's pure. Like, am I, am I walking in purity in my heart with this, with what you've given me to do? So this is like the personal side of this. Um, so let's just take a moment, however you need to, to tune in with him. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fire Podcast with Ryan Rhodes. Fire Movement has a mission to bring people face-to-face with the real Jesus. If you love this show and ministry, please consider subscribing, leaving a five-star rating, and most importantly, sharing the podcast with others on social media. Also, would you please consider one-time or monthly support to help us sustain and grow this show so that others can be stirred to hunger for more of the real Jesus? You can do so by going to firemovement.com support, Venmo at firemovement, or cash app dollar sign fire movement thank you